Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. And I'm Carl. So, Carl, you wanted to start off talking about the game that you were just playing? <laughs> yeah, this is the section of the day where we talk about the news of the day. And I'm sure that I had some insightful, gleaming insight into what's happening right now in the world. But that was all knocked the fuck out of my head when a game I bought yesterday finished downloading finally on my stolen internet from the laundromat across the street. <laughs> I started playing it. It's called called Disco Elysium. It is the most bizarre, gonzo, friggin' role-playing game, point-and-click adventure, hard-boiled detective novel, sci-fi adjacent nonsense that I've ever friggin' played. And in the brief 2.3 hours that I spent playing it before I came here, I already have lost the game. And this <laughs> is how I lost the game. Quick, very spoiler-free overview. You literally wake up on the floor face down with a b empty bottle of alcohol on the ground in your underwear, like Rick Sanchez. <laughs> and it starts off with just pitch blackness and this dialogue you're having with your own ancient reptilian brain in your brainstem. And it's just like saying, hey, Oblivion's great, isn't it? Let's just stay here in Oblivion. And you're like, all of your dialogue options are like, yeah, let's do that. And then eventually you kind of are forced into consciousness. And if you want, you can go over to the bedroom mirror and spend 20 minutes like freaking out about your face. And you can like try to like touch your own face to be like, oh, my my nose is fine, right? And, like, no, your nose hurts like hell. <laughs> my tongue's good though, right? No, your tongue is swollen and <laughs> like then you finally wipe the mirror clean and look at yourself and you're just like, what the fuck even is that thing? <laughs> Like, you don't even fully identify as a member of the human race. Like, you're having this existential crisis while you're trying to remember who you are. You don't recognize yourself. You have amnesia. You don't know your name. You don't know anything. Like, random facts will, like, pop into your head and you don't know how they got there. And it's concerning and disturbing <laughs> to your character. So I was digging through some garbage and going off about how I I can't remember where I live, so I guess I'm just going to be hobo cop. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, I find my police ledger where I'd been with my notes on old cases and stuff, right? And I find an envelope buried in the ledger in a hidden compartment and I open it up and I read the letter and it's a letter from my ex-wife and it causes him to have a mental breakdown and all four of my dialogue options were some variation of fuck being a cop this sucks and I had to <laughs> click one of them so I clicked one of them and then it took me to a game over screen and it was like it read me this news article about how this cop lost the will to be a cop and quit and went and lived under a bridge <laughs> and just like became a homeless person under a bridge and game over. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to start it again. The game is super weird. It has the stats that you would normally associate with a role-playing game. These are completely different from those. 
And it's not about fighting. It's about just managing to barely overcome full mental breakdown. It almost <laughs> feels like your character took acid. <laughs> it's kind of like instead of Gary Gygax creating Dungeons and Dragons, it was like, what if the Fear and Loathing guy? Hunter S. Thompson. What if Hunter S. Thompson created Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> That's what this is. What if, who's that dude that wrote... Um, William S. Burroughs? Not William Burroughs. Uh, although there's elements of that as well, the alcoholicness uh, of it. Those guys, though, those kind of people. This is a very counterculture, like beat oriented, weird. There's this whole weird thing where, like, a thought will occur to you and you have this, this tab in the thing you go into your inventory and your journal and your journals like your missions that you're on your quests your quest log right but then there's this section for thoughts right and you pick a thought and while you're thinking about the thought it occupies your mind it changes your dialogue options because it's the a thought you're internalizing Right. And so you're thinking about it actively, which means it's going to affect your dialogue choices. And then it also um, affects your stats by either increasing them or decreasing them for a period of time until you've finished ruminating on that thought. And then it gives you some kind of like permanent reward for having <laughs> thought about a thing. Like you're now Hobo Cop. <laughs> hobo Cop was a thought that I was thinking about. And I assume that when you complete the Hobo Cop thought, you like become better at searching through garbage or something. <laughs> but the, the tasks that I have, have come across so far are things like figure out how to get that body out of the tree. Um, <laughs> figure, out, figure out where you live. Figure out how to pay your hotel bill. <laughs> Find your badge. <laughs> oh, and I almost lost the game when I realized that not only did I not have a badge, but I also lost my gun and I should have a uniform <laughs> that I don't have. <laughs> and it was like, I almost, like, my morale took a hit at that point and I almost lost the game in that moment. But then in the clutch moment, I regained my composure barely and then was derailed by my ex-wife's memory. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost the game by losing the will to continue to be a cop. <laughs> it's a fucking, yeah. Why even watch? Who cares about what's on the news when you got a video game like this? <laughs> okay, that's my two cents. Up in Great Falls, there's a, a sign war going on right now between Alias Smith and Jones Pond and the O'Hare Motor Inn. The O'Hare Motor Inn bought a new marquee out front. And so. They're going back and forth with Alien Smith and Jones. Like, are these businesses across the street from each yeah. other? Yeah. Okay. And they're exchanging messages. Yeah, basically, okay. like just putting up. We got who mermaids. started it? Ah, uh, when they got the new sign, they started it. Well, actually, Alien Smith and Jones put up a thing saying, "Why don't you guys get a marquee?" Game on. Okay. So they <laughs> challenged them to even get a sign. Yeah. So they got like a marquee out front and then like it was game on. And then like since in the week that it's happened, there's been about five businesses across Great Falls that have joined in. So like there's this whole like thing happening and I've been watching it on Facebook and it's kind of riveting. 
That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> we went up to play a show in Great Falls a couple of times at the Loading Zone, which is also the strip club and tattoo parlor in Great Falls. Of course. It's like a one-stop shop of like drunken debauchery. And we played there two or three times, and then they wanted us to play again at... My buddy Gravy, he went up to him, he's like, yeah, well, if we play again, we want a room. Like, we want you to pay for a room so that we don't have to come back the same night. And we want our names up on the marquee. And so he's like, done. And so we go up there and it says, we were the throbbing loving band. And the marquee says, throbbing loving man. And so we had an <laughs> argument about who was the throbbing loving man. <laughs> I think I won because I'm the strongest. <laughs> but, I don't know. But yeah, like, fuck up marquees is just a good time all around <laughs> yeah but that brings me to the main part of the story which is the loss of the beloved piano pat who was a main fixture of the sip and dip lounge in the o'hare motor inn the sip and dip i'll just do a quick explanation if that's okay yeah. it's a tiki bar that has this giant window behind the bar and it's got a swimming pool that is lined up with that window. And so they hire women and men to go down and be mermaids and mermen. <laughs> like the first time I went there, I saw a guy who's really drunk. who's just like, yeah, I'm going to be a fucking merman. <laughs> like that was my first exposure to this place was watching a very excited young man who's clearly a beefcake, like jumping up and down in the lobby. And so you go in there and it's, you know, it's like a tiki bar and they have like like fish bowls and shit and it's like done in like 70s tiki bar it's super corny kind of like the brady bunch is going to hawaii yeah. kind of like style and uh <laughs> it's just really fun and then piano pat would be in there a couple nights a week and she had two keyboards she'd play off of she had an 80s casio keyboard that she'd play the 80s pre-program like five or six beats for every song <laughs> and then she had an electric organ it looked like from the 60s and she would do classic rock songs and she was just this old lady and it was so funny hearing her belt out the songs but she's also like an amazing pianist so it's yeah. like really kitsch kind of feel that's just amazing and I've been there three times two of the times I was lucky enough to be there when Piano Pat was there and it's like that's an entirely different bar when Piano Pat's there it's just like the energy is so much better when Pat's there and you have to wait for a seat you have to like stand at an uncomfortable place to get a seat on like a Friday or Saturday night yeah because that's, that's when we were there was like a weekend I think it was a Saturday night Mm -hmm. And there's not very many booths and there's not very many no. seats at the bar. So it's like when you get in there, everybody's super happy to be there. Learned she had passed away last night and Governor Steve Bullock, our former governor of Montana, like posted a picture like of him and Piano Pat together. She was featured in GQ magazine as in an article, 50 women in 50 states. She was a woman representing Montana. And then, or no, Lifetime did the 50 women in 50 states. GQ rated it the number one bar to fly somewhere to go to. Yeah, there's stories about people like Daryl Hannah, you know, who was a mermaid in Splash. She would come down there once a year. She would fly down to Great Falls to hang out in that bar. Yeah. Every year. Like, not just in the 80s when she did it, but just every year because she loved that place. There's a, quite a few celebrities that hung out in there. And their names escape me at the moment, but Daryl Hannah is the one I always remember just because of the just mermaid connection. Just because of Splash, yeah. Yeah. Well, we were there for over a Saturday night, and when we first got there, we were, like, pushed up against the wall, like, 
sharing a fishbowl, me and my wife. And finally, we got a seat at the bar after about half hour, 45 minutes. It was definitely something that was always on my bucket list to do was go to the sip and dip. So I had heard interesting stories and I wanted to see for myself. Not having Piano Pat there kind of kills it for me, honestly. I don't know if I'm going to go there again now that Piano Pat's gone. Like, I really do love that place, but she was an integral part of it, you know? Yeah, and she was there since 1963, I think, is when she started playing. And Same she was... keyboards, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> At least the old organ. Mm -hmm. Um, She had 50 years in 2013, and I know she was playing up until at least 2019. She was still playing at the bar, so over 55 years. Wow. Like, that's crazy. And then just, like, thinking back on all the stuff, like, because Great Falls is, for those that don't know, there's a big Air Force base and... There's nuclear missile silos outside of it. It's technically the windiest city in the United States. Yeah, it's always windy and great falls. Yeah. Like there's this big plateau up on the edge of it, and it's just the wind just sweeps down from it and hits everything. Yeah, and Great Falls, it was one of the biggest cities in Montana. It's just been slowly dying off, and it's... Still dying off. Yeah, and it's definitely seen its heyday 30 years ago, I think. It's been on the decline, but that was one of the bright spots of Great Falls, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to miss her. She was awesome. And I did have a conversation with her once, which I'm not going to get too in-depth on, but... uh, I talked about in the second episode of Montague Skies, which I think I might have pulled that episode, to be honest. (laughs) When we recorded our first two podcasts ever, they were back to back and we did it in a hotel room while we were at the Special Olympics. And we were all using nicknames because we all had management positions at our company and we were worried we'd get in trouble for it because we would tell debaucherous stories at the start of it. And that's why I go by Biggs all the time. It's just like if one of the client's families heard it they wouldn't put it together which i didn't even realize like none of them were ever gonna hear it once i realized that (laughs) felt very free to say whatever i wanted on mic so john who we were there with started hitting on piano pat he'd had a lot of drinks and he was like what you drinking there and she was like orange juice and he was like got some vodka in there and she was like it's for my diabetes and he tried to like hit on her just kind of jokingly and then she's like i gotta take five and then she just left dude like he drove <laughs> her out of the bar and like i love john but he was clearly being an ass that night it was funny to watch from a distance but i'm sure pat was just like i'm not fucking dealing with this shit you know i'm too old for this shit exactly the old dan Danny Glover. We just have to pause and remember if it's Danny or Donald. They're so similar in name. (laughs) Not in stature, just in name, you know? Well, they are cousins, right? I have no idea. Are they? No. No, they are not. Yeah, I've never heard anything about that. As far as I know, they're not related in any way. I was fucking blown away to find out Melissa McCarthy and Jenny McCarthy were related, to be honest. That was one I never would have put together. But, like, one of them's talented and one of them is an anti-vaxxer. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. I just have a series of Marvel things to talk about because Marvel dropped a lot of stuff. So the first thing was, did you guys see the Phase 4 trailer for Marvel? Yeah. You did not see it. Man, you you missed out. No, I've been fucking working. It's pretty good. It's only like six or seven minutes long. I think it's like three, honestly. And it 
has a very brief kind of look back at things. with Stanley narrating it. It's yep. like very wistful <laughs> while you're watching it. It shows a clip of like an audience reaction on opening night to the Avengers Assemble moment in Endgame. You see like it starts with hearing Falcon go on your left and then like everybody just stands up and starts cheering. And then when Captain America is like Avengers and then the hammer into his hands and he's like assemble and they just fucking lose their shit. Pretty good. Yeah. I started watching that. I was like, I don't need the recap. But then I hear like Stan Lee and it starts to like pull at my heartstrings. And then, yeah, you see that audience and it's just like, oh, and you just think about all these like great moments in those movies. So that's like the first 90 seconds. And then the last 90 seconds is like Marvel just being like, here is what you're fucking in for for the next three years of movies. They don't touch the shows on this. Not really. No. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what all they showed. They gave us release dates basically mm-hmm. for the little the clip of shang chi movies it's actually shang chi shang chi you're right Shang-Chi. you're right i heard that somewhere uh, we've been saying it wrong for decades <laughs> well i've been saying it wrong for whenever they announced it so probably like two or three years ago yeah. but yeah shang <laughs> i'd never heard of it before that we got the marvel madness Multiverse of Madness, I mean, Doctor Strange, Multiverse. We got the Quantumania release date, Ant-Man and the Wasp. We got the titles for Captain Marvel. We saw some clips of the Eternals. Yep. Very, very brief. brief. Like, I'm sure people, I'm sure there's a million YouTube videos with, like, Easter eggs, but, like, I didn't see anything. Blink and you'll miss them moments from the Eternals. What Um, I took away from that was, like, oh, there's the cast. Like, there's there's Camille Nanangi. There's Angelina Jolie. This movie is real. Yep. (laughs) They actually made it. Yeah. Uh, We got the title for Captain Marvel 2 and the title for Black Panther 2. Black Panther 2 is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Yep. And the next one, the Marvel, is just called The Marvels. Yes. in the A of Marvel is the Captain Marvel logo. And then the S in Marvels is like the swoosh of Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. And so before that movie comes out, we will get the Ms. Marvel show, which will serve as her entry. Introduction. Yeah. That movie's going to be... Brie and Larson and Monica uh, Monica Monica Rambo. I don't know the actress's name, but yeah. And Ms. Marvel. Yeah. All and together. I, That'll be fun. I, I think. think that's a really good choice because I was hearing some insiders of Marvel talking about it and or at least reportedly. But I do believe it because this did sound realistic to me, which is like they looked at Captain Marvel and as a success, but there was a lot of criticism of it. And Brie Larson seemed a little wooden at certain moments. And so they were like, maybe we should give her the Incredible Hulk treatment where it's like you can give her a part of a bunch of movies and have her be a great character. Because I think Honestly, I think she really hits well in Endgame, and I think she doesn't hit that well in her own movie. Like, I think a lot of other characters hit well in that movie, and so she might be one where if they, like, bring her in for, like, you know, 40 minutes of a movie that she might hit a lot better. I don't know. We'll see. But I like the idea of those three teaming up. And they've never done that in the comics either, which is kind of cool. Um, They showed the logo for Fantastic Four. They just show the four there. So, like, they're making it clear at some no, point. No, that means Phase Four. Uh, I think it was Fantastic Four. Uh, it's not going to happen. They have Fantastic Four. I think they're letting nah. you know Fantastic Four is coming. We're just not giving you any details. 
Maybe it's Phase 4, but I'm betting it's Fantastic Four. John Krasinski. And Mephisto's going to be in it, Carl. <laughs> now, who is Mephisto? Well, right now, Mephisto is Monica Rambeau. I'm pretty sure. I I really pulled apart WandaVision. You can see it on my 25-part YouTube video that I put up. It's totally the Cicadia that was hanging out. Uh, they also showed uh, the title for the new Spider-Man movie Oh, as that's well, right. Which is, you know. No Way Home? Just, yeah. No way home. We already knew that. Take the long way home. (laughs) That's going to be the fourth one. (laughs) (laughs) They had a Loki trailer. Did you guys see this? The newest one? I watched. Not really. I think I started it and then I stopped paying attention. So basically they have Tom Hiddleston talking about how whenever they have a Marvel trailer, they always show these heroes doing heroic stuff and they'll show Thor with his hammer, Captain America with the shield. He's like, but they never show Loki. And he does heroic things. And then they show some clips from the new Loki show and it looks like it's going to be fun. They showed something they did not show me in the other trailers, which is like, Owen Wilson going to do Owen Wilson things like the kind of things you want Owen Wilson to do where he's like laughing and side talking and like, wow, you're really good. Look like that kind of stuff. Like I just it looks like it's going to be fun in the computer. Yeah, because all the trailers they showed, they kind of show like Owen Wilson having an upper hand and control over Loki. And this trailer, they show that like Owen Wilson really believes in Loki, which like I like that better because that means Loki is going to take advantage of him and Loki's going gonna be loki (laughs) loki got a loki yeah loki got a loki that's all that i'm saying did you hear the other news that went along with the loki trailer that they're actually pushing up the release date of the loki by a couple of days yeah they're putting it on wednesday because disney plus was reaching out to us and being like hey we're sorry about those fridays you have a point so we're gonna put it on wednesday so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe we can all make an effort to try and watch it before we podcast on Wednesdays. What do you say, guys? That's not happening. <laughs> so Brandon will get everything spoiled. <laughs> Fuck you guys. You got a morning, dude. <laughs> it shit's up at midnight. I think the main problem is you keep making your family a priority. That's a huge mistake. Yeah, dude. We're podcasting here. And we're yeah, just... <laughs> Abandon your family, get a cat, and live alone, and watch television. And play what game? Disco Elysium. (laughs) (laughs) Just the biggest smile when you said that. Dude, it's nuts. You got to try it. And you'll play it multiple times, I'm telling you. So the kids have been playing this or watching uh, YouTubers play this game called Papers, Please, and you are a border agent in like a Russian like I've heard about it and you have to like check people's IDs and it's it's interesting watching like people go through it because depending on like if you let certain people in like they set up like networks and like terrorist organizations or you can take bribes and let people in and there's a one security guard that you kind of become friends with that like gets a kickback for people you detain in line and like and then like if he gets blown up you lose this money that you're supposed to get every day where does this take place at the russian communist block about 82 i think is when it takes place Uh, this was an international feel (laughs) this was a game that was designed and created by one guy it's like a very specific purpose when he created this game which was to show the plight of people in this situation he wanted you to have he wanted this game to make an emotional impact 
okay. and make you feel something. It's not about winning and losing or scores. It's about putting you in this position and looking at and like sort of empathizing, learning how to understand everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're like the the gate for international politics. Like, you, if you let in certain like uh, news reporters, like then you know the. They send, they put up paper, uh, news articles like the border security is lax and then you get fined by the security. You know, like if you don't make more than you take in, like, so if you can't pay all your bills, you get thrown in jail and game over. It's crazy. That is crazy. Well, also on the international tip, back to Marvel here, there was a minor controversy and I mean minor as in like there's probably 300 people on the internet bitching about this, but... In all of Disney Plus that is not in the United States, they have now taken Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Peggy Carter, and they put them onto their Marvel Legacy platform, which is all of the stuff that's not the MCU, so like the X-Men stuff or the cartoons. And so basically the idea, I think, is like this stuff is not canon anymore. So yeah. it's over here. And they, they can't do that on Disney Plus yet because that stuff's not on Disney Plus. It's on Netflix. So they can't move it over yet. So I think they're sort of like tempering to like make an announcement about it until after, you know, like Disney Plus has the rights to all of it again. But I just want to say like, so what? This is what happens. The MCU is like, what, 11 years, 12 years old now? There was also the Fox show The Gifted. Yeah. Which took place in the X-Men But that was universe. that was always gonna go in the in the legacy thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that was a Fox joint. Marvel's Runaways though is pretty close. And there was the freeform show Cloak and Dagger, also in the Marvel universe, which did cross over successfully for two episodes with Marvel's Runaways. Yeah. It's interesting how their young adult stuff got kind of scattered across and not consolidated in one spot. Yeah. I think they were still at a point where they were like just guns for hire, like wherever we can put these shows, we're going to develop them all over the place. And then when it became clear that everybody had to become Netflix, that's when Marvel starts gathering up everything. You know what I mean? Like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, all that stuff never had a chance to continue on Netflix, as we know, because they just want it all at Disney Plus now. So I think everything that was at other places was just a natural victim of that. Yeah. The main takeaway I get is I don't give a shit about canon versus non-canon. Like, I care about it in that, like, I like to know it for discussions, but, like, I don't get upset about it. And I think people spend too much shoe leather getting mad about this stuff. Like, I've just been a comic reader for too long. And you got, I mean, you know this, Carl. You've read comics I don't know what you mean. Like, uh... Stuff gets knocked in and out of canon all the time. Right. If somebody tries to use something non-canon to make an argument about something that is canon that's annoying yes. because it's not relevant to the discussion but i don't care if something is or isn't canon if yes. it is it is and if it isn't it isn't and that's fine 100 percent agree yeah but you can't cross them over no no 
<laughs> it's the idea of like this was canon, it's not canon. That was such a big uproar with Star Wars years ago, right? Like people were really upset because there was all these books that were canon, which like George Lucas had a very convoluted it's not like form the, of canon. They're gonna like if they come to your house, they're like, Oh, you this book's not canon anymore. What are you doing with it? Yeah, we're taking it from we're you. We're burning it and we're gonna <laughs> shoot you and bury you we're in a mass put, grave with all the other We're gonna put a Punisher button on your chest now and like <laughs> yeah it's suicide squad bol- uh, bomb in your brain stem. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so all of that being said relax agents of shields fans it doesn't matter if it's canon or not you can still enjoy it and yeah listen I mean, like you can still watch it you can enjoy it and listen to an interview with galen howard <laughs> multiverse <laughs> multiverse that was just another universe yeah. It was a parallel universe where that shit with Coulson happened. It didn't happen in the main Marvel universe, but big deal. I already cut this all off. I was trying to transition to an interview. You no transition. Fucking in this up. Well, thank you for joining the podcast, Galen. Uh, I want to thank you first off because I know you put in a long day and I appreciate you taking time to talk with me. Yeah, no worries, dude. I wanted to ask you some stuff about acting and just kind of how you got your start. Yeah. So when was the first time you acted? Oh, man. I mean, I was always a very expressive kid, but I think whenever there was a demonstration in my grade school, you know, I, I would always kind of jump at that. I always kind of struggled with a lot of those things, especially things that were kind of time or efficiency based and that sort of thing. But, you know, there's anything involving the imagination. You know, I was always you know, jumping on that opportunity. Long story short, or short story long, I was... um <laughs> I think it was like probably in a, like third grade. We had to like act out like Little Red Riding Hood, and I was like playing the big bad wolf or something, and I just like hammed it up, and I was like, "This is fun," you know. Even in something like that, yeah. Was this in class or was this for people? Yeah, I was like in class, little like class assemblies and stuff, and we'd act out stuff. They would have like these um, people from like Oregon Shakespeare Festival and things like that come and do like kind of like abbreviated Shakespeare plays. And one of the actors came to our class and kind of led us in some like exercises. You know, of course, I volunteered and, you know, we kind of went through a little like exercise kind of thing. And, and of course, again, I was just completely hamming it up and like the guy. Uh, and the guy was like responding to us, like just loved it. And it was, uh, you know, it, you know, it got a very warm reception. And so like that, it was one of those feelings of like, I'm getting immediate feedback. I'm getting immediate approval. You know, but it felt like in all, all my academics and everything, I, I had to kind of work so hard and all, always just kind of get you know, a medium response. And yeah. this is just like in a second, you know, you get this response and it, you know, this immediate approval, this connection with someone else. It's like your efforts are immediately just you know going right to the target and you know and that's just like crack kind of like lights off all your receptors you know and so i was like oh i i like this you know <laughs> so i heard you say oregon there uh i remember you talking about being from sacramento did yeah did you have part of your childhood in oregon or was it just a, a troop from oregon yeah it was like a troop from oregon like, there's okay. like the big there's the oregon shakespeare festival like in ashland that's like really big and they have it's like one of the big theaters in the in the united states and they have like touring theaters and that sort of thing so yeah i think they came around like the royal shakespeare company or the oregon or one of those yeah anyway yeah that's what that's what that was yeah i grew up in in sacramento area kind of i, I just outside sacramento in 
Davis. But then when I was a teenager, spent most of my time in, in Sacramento. That, that's where there's the most to do and that sort of thing. So when was your first time getting up on stage? Like theater camps, you know, where you you know, you do exercises and things, but then, then you kind of rehearse a play and then you put it up for a few nights and that sort of thing. So I did that for in kind of grade school, early junior high. And then in high school, I was part of like a, a performing arts charter school. And so they had a, a few plays I was in and did things like that. You know, we did like old chestnuts, like you can't take it with you and stuff like that. Our town. I always had a penchant for like the weird shit. There's a whole uh, branch of theater called Theater of the Absurd, which is like Samuel Beckett and um, Harold Pinter and you know, Jean Genet. And um, there's a guy named Eugenie Inesco. And we did this like one act called The Bald Soprano that's just complete. Not- I mean, it's there. there's a, a core to it, but it's just I mean, it just evolves into like gibberish, um, you know, kind of absurd scenarios, almost kind of little dialogue vignettes that just kind of devolves into just absolute insanity and chaos and just nonsense. And it's and it's sublime. It's just and that was the kind of thing was like, oh, I I'm told this is totally my wavelength. Those are some of my first experiences. Yeah. Did you ever have friends that you acted with? Like, did you guys ever make like home movies or anything like that? Couple. I had one friend of mine and we would more like spend time like writing screenplays and kind of having these kind of like lofty ideas that were just of course in retrospect were silly we just kind of add to these themes and everything we didn't know about like you know story structure or anything but it was more just we would write out these scenes and we would approach it as as actors and kind of like you know oh this would be a fun scene to play but doesn't really you know add anything to you know to the script itself but we had so much fun you know and so we were doing that kind of shit and um so yeah and then and I, I I got like a, you know, my parents bought me a, you know, a digital camcorder for my birthday. And so we, you know, we would like shoot little things with that. No, nothing really amounted to anything, but we would just kind of, you know, putz around with that. Had like other, you know, friends we would write, kind of write sketches with. You know, out of high school, you know, gotten like a lot of like community theater and that sort of thing. And so met a lot of people through that and, you know, had kind of a community in that area. That's awesome. So at what point do you start to do gigs where you're getting paid? <laughs> uh, not for a while. When I was first starting out, the idea of getting paid was just so out of my orbit. It was, Man, I understand you know, the that. Idea- <laughs> yeah. You know, you were kind of fighting for any opportunity just to act in front of people or, you know, in like someone's short film or something. And so you didn't even think about getting paid. Everything was a privilege that eventually changes. When I was still in town up in, in the Sacramento area, every year, maybe I would get like a theater gig that, you know, would pay me like, you know, 50 bucks a show or something. Or, you know, I had a couple of those here and there and maybe like a film or like a small commercial or something like that. And, you know, again, it's like, you know, a couple hundred bucks here and there. And but a lot of the film stuff I did, yo, was, you know, it was just free. It was labor of love. It was all of that. Then, you know, when I came out to Los Angeles, you know, the first year I, um, a friend of mine was producing a horror film, like, you know, a small, like, reasonable budget. And, um, you know, was, he was, they were able to pay everyone. And so I was, you know, getting paid every day for that. And, you know, for, uh, for about a couple weeks work and put up everyone up in a hotel and I was in heaven. I mean, that was like, how can it possibly get any better than this? That was kind of my first experience of like, wow, that's, a, you know, this is what it's like to be an actor. Was it? 
it difficult to kind of make the transition of I'm worth being paid for acting? I know that's a really hard thing in the arts where it's like, yeah, you get so used to doing things for free. Sometimes it's hard to make that mental jump to like, hey, you know what? I, I should be paid for some of this stuff. I, I think I'm pretty good at this and I think I can do this. Like, at what point do you kind of make that leap in your head? Was there a particular thing? It's gradual. It's really gradual. First, you're taking every opportunity and, you know, you're so in love with the process you'd like any time to engage with it is that's the payoff but yeah there is that point of like you know this is you know, it's like no this is my career it, it's such a delicate balance i think like with anything that you're constantly doing you're constantly in that process you don't really realize it it's just kind of one of those things it's like you know, oh i can ride a bike now i can do this or it's like you realize kind of after the fact like i should be getting paid for this you know and it's like after a while it's just you you just kind of make that leap. I think it's just you have to get a certain number of opportunities where I would get this, you know, this gig or that gig or book enough things and you get a, a certain level of consistency and couple of consistency in your work and a confidence in, in your work, whether you're getting paid for it or not, which you of course you should. You feel like you can you can't always rely on like, am I going to like just knock this out of the park or not? Sometimes you feel like it's just luck, like yeah. whether you really nail that scene or or it crashes and burns and you get that consistency of like I'm I'm going to show up and I'm going to crush it and I'm you know I'm going to do work that I can stand by you know 9 out of 10 times and when it falls short you know where it falls short and you make that note and you move on it's not like you spend like days lamenting it it's like you know you like oh got it I did that instead of this right do that you know Next time, do this, you know, and so you just you get that just rhythm, you get that consistency. And so when you're at that point, you're like, I'm a professional. This is what I do. You're not going to ask a plumber to fix your sink for the experience, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is what I do. This is my job. Pay me. So I, I can say from my own perspective, like I battle imposter syndrome just like crazy. Was that ever an issue for you? Always is. I don't think that goes away. I think it's I think it we you kind of learn to keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> you learn to keep it quiet. You learn to shut the, you know, to keep it in the closet, you know, under all the coats. But yeah, it's always there. I think that level of like, I'm fooled everyone and they're going to find out that, you know, I'm, um, uh, you know, that I'm full of shit. Like, yeah, that, you know, that I've just been, I've just been coasting all this time, you know, right, I think. Yeah. But again, it's like when you, you know, there is a certain point. It's always at certain levels. I think, you know, where I am right now, I have a pretty good sense of where I am. If you reach kind of the next level in your career, you're showing up five days a week on a big show or, you know, build in a, in a, in a major film or something like that. Then that's another level where you're like, oh, shit, you know, they're going to be on to me. They're going to be like, how did you get right. here? <laughs> That has absolutely been my experience. I listened to um, the actor Kevin Pollack. He has a podcast. He would always describe it as like, you know, you always imagine that you get to set and someone comes up to you and just says, I'm sorry, we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and he says like he still feels that way. That's actually very comforting to hear. Yeah. I, I used to play music and, you know, mm -hmm. I've been podcasting for about a decade. And uh, yeah, I used to hang out at open mics at my local bar up in until COVID. <laughs> and sure. I used to love to hang out with the, the 21, 22 year old kids who would come in and play a set and they would always do the same thing, which was they would go, oh yeah, man, like we're going to get a lot better. We're, we're terrible right now. I would have a whole list of 
musicians that always showed up that I've known for years. And I'm like, hey, Andrea, are you any good? And she's like, no, I suck. And we just go down the line. And I'm like, just understand this is going to be with you. And there's nothing you can do about it except for just soldier on and learn to to play through it. So I'm really glad to hear that from you because I just feel like people have this concept when they're starting out that like, I'm no good. Um, I'm the imposter. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't deserve to be here. And it, I think it discourages a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's helpful to hear that at all levels, people go through that, you know? Yeah. No, I think, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it, and ha- and it happens in all of the arts and in, and in a lot and plenty of other professions, too. I mean, in, in, in any case where we're trying to prove ourselves or actualize, you know, a certain reality, every profession by nature has a level of competition. And, you know, it's like the David Byrne talking heads thing of like, well, how did I get to get here? Yeah. You know, this is not my beautiful house. Like, you know, why me? Why? Why this all happened to me? me is so it feels so fucking arbitrary it's so funny you say that too because i had never really paid attention to that song too much like i liked it but i hadn't really paid attention to the lyrics until a couple weeks ago yeah and it it really struck me across the the head when i was listening to that you can read that song a lot of different ways yeah i mean that's what's so great about it there is that kind of imposter syndrome or that kind of identity in a profession like this one in the entertainment industry, you know, you're you'll have one job one second and then you might not work for like a few months. It's so hard to not identify yourself by your last job or, you know, or how much you're working because, you know, the the majority of the work is getting the work. You'll hear people say when they start out, like, you know, I want to be a working actor. They have this there's this kind of the myth of the working actor. And the reality is, is that, you know, when you book a job, you're working. And when the job ends, you're not. You can't let that define you. It's like most actors actors aren't showing up nine to five. I mean, at any given time, I think they've said like, you know, less than 1% of SAG members are working at any given time. You know, whether you're working or not at that moment doesn't define you whether, you know, whether you're an actor or not, or how successful you are or any of that. It's all about maintaining that focus and that determination and just the drive. Carl will kill me if I don't ask you about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know you've been on it. So any stories you can tell me from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he would be absolutely elated. The set is really, it's very familial and everyone is super inviting and there's no sense of hierarchy on that show. They definitely have a rhythm and like they're on that track and like there's no sense of mythos or mysticism about it. It's all pretty dry, just like showing up for work everyone's having fun with each other everyone's coming up with with ideas on the spot when we had one scene you know at the end when the whole team comes out in like our beige wardrobe we had like a whole bit of joe latrulio saying oh you got you know we look like a mervin's commercial and then the three of us were that played the cousins on the show we all go out go mervin's and like that was like a little bit they made up in the on the fly there's always that sense of play of like you know i think it was andy samberg said like oh what if they did that like go mervin's you know so there was like that bit so it's a very kind of playful atmosphere and it's so great to see it like especially on a on a show with that level of visibility you know and that caliber of talent that's really cool yeah absolutely so i noticed that you had a movie that just came out uh-huh. at the atlanta film festival oh yeah it's called moon manor it's this is it just premiered at um the atlanta film festival i i wasn't able to attend was finally able to see it. it's called moon manor it's an incredibly sweet film it's about a man with who's been diagnosed with alzheimer's who has chosen to take his own life you know because he's judging the quality of life and really looking at how much quality days does he have left 
he doesn't want to lose himself. He doesn't want to fade out. It's that like, you know, better burn out than fade away kind of thing. He doesn't want to gradually lose his sense of identity. So he's opted for self-euthanasia and on his last day gathers all of his friends, you know, in kind of a, a celebration. He calls it a, a funeral. And um, so they have this big party. And of course, it, there, a lot of emotions come up on that day. And he's visited by his evangelical brother. And I play kind of his apprentice at the church. And uh, I get roped in on a mission, not knowing at first that it's his brother, that it's a personal vendetta, kind of. It's a personal mission. It's a really beautiful film, and it's got some really wonderful talent. The, I mean, the star of it is the this guy, Jimmy Caruso, whose niece and her friend based the, the story on and uh, drew a lot from his life, from his years as a performer and on his partner who he lost to AIDS. And it's just an incredible story. And he's 83 years old and is now you know, living his dream of being a movie star. So that in itself is incredible. Oh, that's beautiful. That's in itself is just beautiful. And and then on top of that, they brought in some just incredible actors, you know, people that I admired incredibly, like uh, Deborah Wilson from Mad TV and the actor uh, Richard Reilly, who people know from like Office Space and Casino and, um, you know, Star Trek Next Generation. You brought him up when we had you on a Cosmic Void talking about RoboCop. And we immediately did a another podcast where we watched a movie, Man from Earth, that he's in, which was oh, amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you, you said he was a really nice guy. Like, do you have any stories about him? Because uh, we're kind of fascinated with him, to be honest. He's very soft-spoken, incredibly nice guy. I don't, I don't know if I had to say have any stories. He's just a consummate professional. He was like always the, you know, the first one to set and the last to leave. He was hard worker. Just yeah, and well, and this and this is his life. But he's incredibly generous, no ego, just just loved to talk. He wasn't guarded about anything but it was all very just very matter of fact incredibly friendly because i was a big fan of like some of his indie stuff he did did some crazy movies in the mid-2000s like movie called palindromes and another movie called mysterious skin and he did a couple movies for that director greg rocky who i love and so i asked him kind of about that doom generation right doom generation nowhere yeah um smiley face um yeah he's he's great so he'd worked with him a couple times so i thought that was awesome and so you know i was asking about some of his work and you know he said he at a certain point you know when he was kind of transitioning out of some of the bigger movies and stuff he was you know not doing the kind of work he wanted you know he was told his agents he really wanted to do some independent film and so kind of took control of his career that way and and that's when he got like that, that movie palindromes and mysterious skin and the larry clark film uh, ken park and um you know like all three in a row of these like real great films you know by uh, by you know, pretty iconic directors in the independent film world you know and so yeah i think larry clark uh he did kids right yep yeah, did kids, bully, um, yeah, another side of paradise, you know. Yeah, I mean he was, you know, kind of you know, skateboard artist and photographer before then and kind of came to film later, but you know, great, yeah, those movies are great. You know, that I so I I really love that kind of the sense of that, you know, manifesting that of just like, you know, that's what he wanted to do, and then he kinda he you know, he got kind of the the best version of that, you know, he was able you know, able to kind of manifest those opportunities and so that i thought was really cool he loves the work he loves the process you know and um yeah he was he was just a joy to work with 
I, I was trying to think of what to, to ask you to close off, and I really appreciate you uh, you spending the time. And so initially, I was going to ask a very generic question. I know you've heard a million times, and I was like, no, I'm going to ask something different. So <laughs> fuck, Mary, kill. RoboCop, RoboCop 2, RoboCop 3. <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, I, you know what? That's easy. I mean... Kill RoboCop three, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You um, you fuck RoboCop two because RoboCop two was crazy. Yeah, and a RoboCop two, anything fucking goes. RoboCop two is gonna be great in the sack. <laughs> oh my god, anything goes. No rules. Like that's gonna be a night you will never forget. And you marry RoboCop because RoboCop is faithful. RoboCop is is there to protect you, and you know we'll never, you know, we'll always stand by. I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. You gave me an easy one. <laughs> I did. You <laughs> a did. Little softball down the middle. <laughs> a little softball, but I love it. Super fun. I feel very smart and clever now. But that's great. Um, Thank you for doing another interview. Oh yeah, this was a blast, Alex. Okay, we're doing a deep dive now. Roll credits or theme song. Are we going da, down da, da, da. a rabbit hole? No rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> deep dive. So for the deep dive today, I be- guess I'm basically going to describe a really deep dive I did once into one of my favorite bands of all time. And uh, what I did was I I built a rock opera out of random songs from different albums of the band Electric Six. And none of these songs are related to each other normally, but somehow I was, you know, putting together a playlist of my favorite songs from different. So like if I could make my perfect album, you know, with from across their discography, make one album where all the songs are perfect. That's what I was kind of trying to do initially. And then this kind of narrative just started emerging organically and I just latched onto it and then started searching for other songs and they were popping into my head as I was going. And what's funny about this is like this band is relatively obscure. Like when I discover another person that has heard of this band and I'm not the one that told them. (laughs) who they were i'm like genuinely blown away i think we worked with one person who's an electric six fan right like amanda maybe she knew who they were and loved them yeah so so if you didn't teach it to the her the person that introduced me to electric six was our friend hannah eller and hannah has introduced me to multiple bands that I have gone on to become super obsessed with. The other one is Richard Cheese. She showed me Richard Cheese and she showed me Electric Six. I showed Hannah Wesley Willis. They're like two of my favorite (laughs) bands now. I was the first person to ever ask Hannah out on a date. And it was seventh grade. And she didn't know why anybody would do that. Ask her out on a date. So she said no. But I'm just all I'm saying is that I was in on the ground floor at knowing that Hannah was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's my point. And she turned me on to these guys and I got into them at first. But then at the time, they only had the one album, right, called Fire. And every single song in the album mentions fire or nuclear war or both. And it's fantastic. (laughs) And they had their one big hit was a song called Gay Bar. You know, let me take you to the gay bar, to the gay bar. They say gay bar a lot, that song. It's just like a rock and rock song. It's fine. As I listened to the first album, I realized at the time, like immediately, there's something special about the lyrics. 
that this guy <laughs> comes up with. That's the thing for me that really sells this band is like the band is fine. They it's it's like rock and roll and disco and dance music. It's like this like Queen. It's Queen. Yeah. It's 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 like an alternative Queen. It's an alternative a lot of those kinds of bands. Like these these stadium house, you know, dance beat rock bands. There's a sexy saxophone in a lot of his songs, because why wouldn't there be? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you always need some hot sax. Gotta have some hot sax, man. A lot of 80s stuff, uh, uh, a lot of 80s kind of vibe going through this music. On the first album, there was songs like Naked Pictures of Your Mother. And that one is uh, evokes a lot of like Wolf of Wall Street kind of being rich is really cool kind of vibes with lyrics like, well, nobody wants to burn in hell. But everybody's got a soul to sell. When I was young, my mama gave me some advice. She said, boy, don't you know, everybody's got a price. And then the chorus is, I make lots of money. I make more money than you. I drive around in my limo. That's what I was born to do. And I might like you better if we fought together. Then he says, I don't know, they didn't write this correctly. But then he says, I got something better for you. Naked pictures of your mother. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Just before we started the show, you were like, ugh, I should have done this electric sex thing earlier. I feel like I have nothing to say about it. And like now you're No, already- no, no. I felt like I was like <laughs> I was starting to get exhausted thinking about it. Because yeah. I've been listening to almost nothing for but a electric week straight. Six. Like literally for- when we finished podcasting last episode, you were like on this. No, I was thinking about this two episodes. I was planning. Oh, you're right. After so the it's been at episode. least two weeks that I've been basically listening to just this band and nothing else. And uh, it's so that's been kind of exhausting. But the thing is, is I keep finding new songs where little lyrics just jump out at me. And I was like texting you lyrics for two weeks, like just random little <laughs> yeah, snippets of lyrics. <laughs> and uh, it was like if it was something r- ridiculous that made no sense. You knew that it was Electric Six. Like, yeah. <laughs> I randomly heard from this one song that's called Mr. Mister Woman, I think. He says, turning people into products is easy. Turning idiots into stars is easier. The robots and the cockroaches are going to be the only survivors. And like that, just that line in it, like turning people into products is easy. Like unpack that for a second. Yeah, that's true. Like Facebook yeah, has I'm turned wearing, us I'm all. I'm wearing a in... fucking Superman shirt right, right now. We're all billboard walking billboards. We all sell our information uh, is being sold about us on on Facebook and all that bullshit. And then turning idiots into stars is easier. So then that's reality television or Jerry Springer or fucking court sh- courtroom television shows, you know. And then he says the robots and the cockroaches are going to be the only survivors. Yeah, because we're going to nuke us into oblivion. And the only thing that's going to survive are cockroaches and robots. Now, that is a lovely little science fiction story just told in three sentences. You got a little mini sci-fi story just kind of packaged away in this song that's not even about that. <laughs> All right, so what is this album that you put okay, together? Okay, so Fire was the first album, then Senor Smoke, Switzerland, Flashy, and 2009. So it was six years after the first album came out that their, like, fifth or sixth album came out. It's called Kill. And uh, it has this song, Steal Your Bones, on it. And Steal Your Bones quickly became one of my favorite Electric Six songs of all time because Steal Your Bones is a song about 
the person he loves. He steals her bones so that he can clone her and make a bunch of copies so they can be with her forever. But in the song, he's like debating like the ethical ramifications of doing this thing. The first line of the song is, we fear what we're becoming, but look what we've become. Truth can be somewhat numbing when we see that we've been so dumb, right? And that is an examination of what he's about to start singing about, <laughs> you know? Like, he he fears what he's becoming is this person capable of, like, committing this act. And then he says, to ensure your survival, I need you dead upon arrival. <laughs> Apparently he can't clone <laughs> so he's got a person. A to he clone can't her. clone a living person. So that it, now we're establishing the rules of the world, right? <laughs> can't clone a living person. You can only clone the dead. Uh, and then he says, "And I will love you forever, though you surely won't remember everything I did to make you love me." That's like the preamble into the chorus, which is, "You are a friend of mine, and when you die, I'm gonna steal your bones." <laughs> You are the space and time, and when you rise, I'm going to feel your clones. <laughs> oh, look how your love light shines as you outnumber me. So now he's making multiple clones of this girl. <laughs> and then he goes on. So I could go into every lyric. We're not going to do that. So he's, I appreciate that. He talks about things <laughs> like, uh, like there's a good line where he says, uh, I declare where there's a way, there's a will. Have you ever seen The Boys from Brazil? Which is a reference to a movie about... <laughs> cloning Hitler. Yep. <laughs> I started like piecing this together. I started, I went backwards. She has to die now in the story. So then I found a song off a different album called Broken Machine. And that song is literally, he's singing about this broken machine, sits in the, in the room and it stares at me and it wants to understand me. And it sees that I love you, the girl. And so now that's what it loves too. Cause it's trying to understand me and I love her. Right. He's just yelling about how it's a mechanical meltdown and it should be thrown away. It's a satanic shutdown. It, nonsense about Broken Machine being evil. Right. So I put that song ahead of it. I made that like an earlier song. And then I found off the first album, I remembered there's this song called I Invented the Night. And he even says in that song, he says, I invented the night in my laboratory using lust and lies. And he's like, so he's this mad scientist. So that's the first song. Mad scientist. Boom. I invented the night. That establishes who he is as a person. It's kind of the intro to this fantasy album you're creating. Yeah. That's the intro track. And then we get into the story, which is he's built this machine. The machine's broken. It wants to understand her. It wants to love her. It Then now he's competing with the robot for her love, sort of. And what winds up happening is the robot kills the girl, right? So girl's dead. Boom. Now he's wants her back. So steal your bones. So he steals her bones. He brings her back. Where does the story go from there? Good question. Well. <laughs> Good question, said cut Carol. Cut to purgatory. <laughs> I'm still not sure where exactly I made this jump in logic. But there was this <laughs> other song that I really liked. And it's called White Eyes. And White Eyes is a song about a ghost girl that's haunting this guy. And... He tries to run away from her by going to a house in the woods, but she follows him there. And then eventually he kills her, turns him into a ghost too. So how do we get from steal your bones to ghost girl? Well, I decided this is how I'm going to do it. We cut from clone guy to purgatory. Ghost girl is in purgatory. And she's trying to move on to the next stage of the afterlife, but she can't. Because she keeps getting cloned. Because... 
there is a clerical error in the purgatory system. She has been recorded as having died, but her body is showing up as alive on earth due to that discrepancy of her being dead, but having a living body. She can't move on to the afterlife. She's trapped in purgatory, but she does have the option. She figures out is able to get back to earth as a ghost. So she decides, fuck this shit. I'm getting my revenge. She goes back to earth, becomes a ghost, haunts him to death. And then she haunts him to death. That's the end of that song. Then he wakes up on an airplane and he's like, oh, it's okay. Everything's fine. And then this, and that's where the story kind of ends, right? Except that while the credits are rolling, the song is still playing, right? And if you listen to the lyrics, the song is called Lucifer Airlines. And about halfway through the song, he realizes that he's actually dead and is on an airplane that is on its way to hell because he's a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> he had to kill a girl to clone her. <laughs> he didn't kill the girl. The robot killed the girl, but he built the robot that killed the girl. And he taught the robot to love the girl. I mean, girl. that's basically killing the girl. It's just one step removed. It's also Extra a broken step. machine that doesn't do anything. It just sits there. That's part of the song. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there. So I had to figure out a way. How's the robot kill the girl if it just sits there? And I figured out that... Does it, it nagger? No, it catfishes her <laughs> using social media. Okay. <laughs> 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 what what do you call this opus? Oh, I never came up with a name for it. I always wanted to like Is it like Carl's Mix 3? I always I've built I've burnt CDs that are this this playlist. Yeah. But I always wanted to like put record little audio clips that I could insert in between the tracks that just sort of bridged the songs that were like little dialogues. I always wanted to like pitch this to Dick Valentine and be like, dude, let's turn this into a live <laughs> a live stage thing, man. Let's fucking he do it. He seems like he'd be weird enough where he's like, yeah, man. I feel like he would be flattered and maybe not returning the a little disturbed. <laughs> yeah. But I think he would also be like, that's really cool that you like created this weird thing in your head that is like a reimagining of my work and just like a rearrangement. Because I'm not, like, changing lyrics or anything. Yeah. I'm just You're just making this, a rock opera out of existing songs. he himself has you done. You know what you should do is fucking make this a Broadway show. Because if you make it a Broadway show, then you get to meet Dick Valentine and be like, look, I made this arrangement. You just have to, like, come up with the play parts in between. And then it's like, whatever you name it, Carl's Mix 3 starring Electric Six. Well, and then we <laughs> and then we do a movie adaptation, and then we do a TV show, and then I get my EGOT. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want one. I mean, Dick Valentine gets the EGOT, to be clear. <laughs> I would get something for... I'd be part of it. <laughs> Ice splashes everywhere. Who knows what's in the pink fluid? It's time to use a Little Debbie urinal cake. Pick them up at your local convenience store right between Fudge Rounds and Honey Buns. And now we take you to the Grateful Bread Videodrome located in downtown Valhalla. So this week, I have... On our battle royale, I have something that I had thought about pitching for an idea for box office battle, but I'm expanding the scope of it because it's so much more than just these two movies. And is this like good versus evil? No, this is a legitimate battle royale, though. It's not two things, a bunch of stuff. 
No, it's just two things. Oh. <laughs> but it's a lot of two things. All right. Transformers versus GoBots. <laughs> this is two things. <laughs> all right. Make your case here. Set it up. Set up the battleground. Out of all, including TV, video, movies, toys, and user experience. <laughs> Here's the problem for me right away. I have very little experience with GoBots. There was an animated show on that I didn't like and didn't watch because it wasn't Transformers. And I was like, that's a ripoff. Even though I know as an adult, GoBots were first. And I don't like the Michael Bay movies for Transformers. I didn't read the comics. I did like the cartoons. And I played with the toys, but they fell apart all the time. Like, I had this one that turned in an aircraft carrier and then a giant semi-truck and then a big robot. And I was carrying the big robot. Like, it was my big Christmas present. And it was, I don't know, for my knee to my head, however big that is. It was, like, huge. And I was carrying it. And then the lower half just separated from the upper half. Just snapped in half under the weight because there was, like, one little plastic rod that held it together. And that was the end of it. You couldn't glue it back on because it was too fucking heavy. So I don't like Transformers either. So I don't know where to even begin with this. <laughs> like, I both franchises are sullied to me. Yeah, let me say, too, uh, my experience with both of those franchises is quite limited. When I was a kid, I had like one really, really good best friend for a while. His name was Greg. And I hung out at his house like every day. And we played with his toy collection, which was just a very, very random assortment of action figures. And he had like he had like three Battle Beasts. Do you remember Battle Beasts? Was that the those later were our Transformers? Favorites. They were not... So, okay, so they were little action figures that were about, oh, say, three inches, three or four inches tall. Okay. And they were an animal-human hybrid of right. some there kind. There was like that Beast Wars cartoon, Each, right? No, this is not Transformers related at all. Okay. I did, so I'm unclear whether it's even Transformer-related. Right. Okay. They were their own thing. They had arms that would move up and down. They had like exosuit like body armor with like a, a little hologram on the front and you would yeah. rub it and it would have like an element. It would be fire, wind, lightning yeah, bolt, Yeah, I had whatever. one of these, dude. I had like a yellow lion thing with like, it had these uh, yellow paws and it, the arms like don't. The arms would just go like It just go moves like this, it like the down, shoulders, right? At, yep. Just yeah. right at the shoulders up and down. Yeah, I had one of these. And, I completely. Uh, Completely fucking forgot about this. So Greg had like four of them. And then across the street, our our babysitter Shanti, her younger brother Daniel, had a fuckload of them. And we loved going over there and playing with his. But uh, And then he had like, we had a bunch of pocket monsters in my pocket. Do you remember monsters in my pocket? Yeah. They were kind of funny. They were like rubber, total rubber. And they were movie monsters and like classic monsters from fiction, 3D printed, basically. They had little numbers on the bottom of them that I think there was some kind of point system because clearly like the generic ghost was like a five and like the lame Frankenstein was like, a, and this was like a rarity thing too, I think was like a 10. But then if you could get the Hydra that had like 12 heads, it was cool as hell. That thing had like a 45 on the undernight. And you're like, whoa, that's more points. So my point was there were also like three GoBots. One of them was a rock and one of them was like another thing. And uh, that's then, fucking weird. They had a GoBot that turned into a rock. Did you have this, Brandon? 
It was uh, a gray rock. It was great. And then we also had some of the, the Transformers that came in the McDonald's toys. So we had like the yeah. fry Transformers. Oh, they were just like, like and, okay. the burger, yeah. and the burger that yeah. transformed into a rope. Like, so we just had these and we just played with all of them in one. They all lived in one shared sandbox universe and all interacted with each other. <laughs> and these big crazy battles where they would. They were also like pro wrestling action figures that were three times the size of the Battle Beast. The Battle Beasts <laughs> would like run all around them and ninja kill them and stuff. The ones were they like the rubber ones that like they were kind of like a wrestling pose and you could like bend them and stuff? they weren't bendy they were okay. straight up and they were not wrestlers that you would know they oh, were generic okay. i i had like, a couple of the in, wwf guys ones. in basically little wrestling shorts things you know singlets and uh so i never watched the transformers movie animated I've seen the movies, not all of them, and I never really gave a fuck while I was watching. I just was like, this is the thing that's, that's a on lot of right gears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real busy. Nothing. It, you can't see anything that's happening because too much. And you much can't sympathize is, with this so pile busy. of gears over this pile of gears. Yeah, it's so busy. Ooh, but one of them plays the radio for talking, so he's uh, my favorite. <laughs> and a couple of them are super ra- racially like yep. in, insensitive caricatures for some reason. Like, we're aliens from another planet, but we're going to come to Earth and we're going to act like the most regressive stereotype of a Mexican that we can possibly be. <laughs> a friend of mine went to go see that and she's black and I only say this because she came back and she was like I really hated that Transformers movie and I was like yeah they're fucking terrible right and she's like yeah it was like making jokes about how he can't read because he clearly has a black voice and I was just like oh wow you found another reason to hate it I was just hating on Michael Bay (laughs) well then like there's like one weird ass moment in one of the movies where one of the robots has big robot balls Mm -hmm. what? Robot testicles? Don't they have an infamous moment in one of them where one of the humans is with like a 17 year old girl and then has a card that explains the laws in the state that they're in? He, he, the character, it's almost like there was a producer in that, on that movie that was just like, had that exact, (laughs) has given that exact speech to parents of starlets. Yeah. And he's like, I'm just putting this in the movie. Yeah. Then I'll just play them this clip whenever they come asking about their daughter. It's fucking crazy. Creepy, Ugh. dude. And all I've seen, to be clear, is about one act of the first Transformers movies, which I did not want to watch. I got forced into watching. And it was exactly what I thought it was. And he I got to the part where he got off. to the part where uh, Megan Fox is, is washing the motorcycle in slow motion. And he was like, ew. And he turned it off. I don't remember that, but I, I, I'm i pretty sure She's that where gross. I left off was That's they like said. they said. like walked by an ancient robot or something. Like, I think it was a Transformer, but it just kind of sat there, and then it started to transform. And I looked around, and everybody had their mouth open in awe, and I was just like, (laughs) this is fucking bullshit. And then somebody just turned it off, and they were like, fuck you. (laughs) And that was the end of that movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was my experience. So, So Brandon, I think you're the one that's going to have to make the decision is what we're getting at. Because I know for a fact you had a giant collection of GoBots. I know you've watched a lot of these movies. I wouldn't call it a giant collection. I had like six of of them. That might be the biggest collection in North America. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody had GoBots here. But I also know from talking to you in the past that you're very much like pro-GoBot. So I think we know where this is going. But I just don't have the... mm, I, I can't really make a case. If there was a Transformers show that I would 
the most identify with is one that I watched as part of my Saturday morning programming as a kid. And that was the computer animated Transformers show Beast Wars. That show was good. I did enjoy. I watched that when I was a freshman in college. And this is like. I saw an N episode. Some of the earliest computer animation out there. I I could not get past the computer animation. It is difficult to go back to. Because it looks very cheap. I'll be honest, man. At the time. I bet you at the time it was expensive as fuck. It probably (laughs) was. But at the time, I saw one episode of that and I was like, I I don't like this animation. Like, I did not like computer animation. I think other than like Toy Story for like a long time. Like Toy Story was was the one thing that managed to pull it off. Well, it was fall of 97 when I know I watched it. Mm -hmm. And I think it might have been on a year before that. I think I got in on the second season. Yeah, the computer animation on, like, TV shows was real fucking (laughs) rough for a long time. And this was kids, like, Saturday morning animation. And and kids shows have always had a lower budget for animation anyways. But, uh, I mean... The stories were interesting, like, and they had a lot of interesting lore. Like, if you could get past the the janky animation, like, it was interesting. Some of these kids, yeah, they had some surprising good storylines you know the x-men show that was on the kids uh had some surprisingly good moments of pathos and you know whatnot because like morph was a character in the very first episode the pilot episode of x-men who gets like taken out he dies off screen but you assume he's they say he's gone they got they shot him he went down and then like the following season he shows back up and now he's evil but he's working for Mr. Sinister and there's this back and forth emotional journey. And you're like, wow, what? This is a fucking X-Men. Some of the cheapest animation I've ever seen. We need to know who wins Transformers or GoBots. I think so, GoBots. That's my vote. I'll, I'll say Transformers so that we can have the, uh, well, neither the climactic of us, decision. The big thing is that neither of us are in I, any way can make a decision. Yeah, I did feel connected to the 80s cartoon, but I cannot remember said 80s cartoon very yeah, well. So. You've got no skin in this game, and neither do I. Yeah, that's true. So um, I actually watched the GoBots movie last night. Nice. Well, that's not entirely true. I watched the first 40 minutes of the GoBots cartoon. Were the GoBots in disguise? No. Were they in the skies? No. Because, you know, it's close to Transformers, but not quite. (laughs) But it was... uh, Is it a 90-minute movie? We get about It's a 90s movie. 90-minute movie. It's got Telly Servalis. It's got Margot Kidder. (laughs) Lois Lane herself. Yeah. Yeah. Those were were the... Does it sound like she's chain-smoking in the booth? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. She's the best. Yeah, and that movie was... Awful. Just Uh, awful. I guess if you're comparing it, the Transformers animated movie has Leonard Nimoy. And they kill Optimus Prime, like... Yeah. Yeah, that was shocking. That was so shocking that they changed the ending to G.I. Joe the movie. Like, somebody was supposed to die. And then they were like, never mind. (laughs) He recovered off screen because kids are so traumatized by Optimus Prime. Yeah, the GoBots movie was done by Hanna-Barbera. Oh, well, there you go. And it's, it's like, if you had to, like, predict a Hanna-Barbera robot cartoon, this is exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the winner? Does this inform your decision? Is this GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords? That is go- Battle of the Rock Lords, yeah. I'm going to say 
Transformers just because... I did not see that coming. I'm surprised. I think GoBots had their place. And the, re- the, the main argument I'm going to make is the price point for GoBots was like $4. The price base for starting Transformers is like $20 plus. Was it that much? They were pretty expensive. Damn. I mean, I didn't buy them, so I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, and I actually like looked this up last night, and like I had a couple of Transformers, but they fell apart really. Like they were... Yeah, they, they were shoddily made for yeah, sure. Yeah, and it was like I can have one Transformer that like falls apart, or I can have like five GoBots. Now, I seem to remember the GoBots being quite a bit smaller than the Transformers. Is that accurate? Like the um, action figures? Most of them are about half size. Like, okay. if you figure like uh, Jax, who was one of the cars, was like just a regular size car, the GoBots would be about half size. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because they had the big carrying case but, and stuff like that. But the thing that I always enjoyed about them is they worked well with the GI. They were about the same size as like the mid-80s G.I. Joes. Oh, so you could team them up. So you could have, like, this whole, like, battle royale. with. Well, ironically, G.I. Joe actually teamed up with Transformers <laughs> in the know. comics. <laughs> hey, that's why I had that one GoBot to turn into a boulder, because the movie was the Rock Lords. Yeah. So he had Rock Lords toys, not GoBots, technically. They were Rock Lords. It was, like, a specific GoBots line, probably. Because right? I'm looking at these pictures online of GoBots. I've never seen any of this shit before. We had some magic. Mask stuff. Remember masks? Yeah, yeah. Little teeny tiny figures with like removable masks. And like I had the leader of the good guys. So he had the car that had the DeLorean wings kind of that like the, the doors went up like the, the DeLorean. Wings. Yes. Yeah. And then it like had rocket boosters on the so edges. So it could fly. All right. I got I got our going outline. So because I forgot I came up with this really clever joke. Okay. You could take us out on it. This is in the style of like those old kind of jokes from like the Fat Albert cartoons. Do you want to take like, us out? Do you want to do the outro? Well, this time. Okay. They'll be like, uh, you're like school in July, no class, right? Like that's the formula. That's the, the, the structure of the joke. And so uh, let's see. What's a really bad movie that we've seen recently? What's a bad one? Uh, I saw the opening scene of Mortal Kombat. Okay. Yeah. So Mortal Kombat is like a guy with no wrists. Unwatchable. (laughs) 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 That took me an embarrassing long time because I've had two beers. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, a cosmic void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.